This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, Ed Renfrew for Dallas again. If there's anyone who doesn't know what Dallas is, well... As we've always said, Dallas is the vacation of the future today. We will soon be landing at Westworld, the ultimate resort. We have you on grid five, over. It consists of three worlds of the past. Locking in now. Worlds where you can live out your every fantasy. Each resort is maintained by reliable computer technology and peopled by lifelike robot men and women. Our robots are programmed to provide you with an unforgettable vacation. Dinner at 7, breakfast at 6.30. We know you'll enjoy your stay in Westworld. Hold it! Where nothing, nothing can possibly go wrong. Good shot. Go wrong. Go wrong. Go wrong. The only limit here is your imagination. You start in the center of the park. It's simple, safe. The further out you venture, the more intense the experience gets. How far you want to go is entirely up to you. It seems the days of the blow-up dolls are a thing of the past. Now, more realistic robots are stepping in. Religious groups in Houston are protesting the opening of a brothel featuring sex robots. We're very good at being human, which involves lots of sex, because that's how we all got here. And of course, when technology's developed, you know... I hate to say it, but it's either going to be because of sex or because of violence. Sex doll makers are building them with artificial intelligence. You can talk to her, so you can interact, you can tell her you love her, she'll respond. And she'll say this. I love you too. And British campaigners want to ban them immediately. And my question is, why are they worried about it? (laughs) The idea that a man can create the perfect woman and she will come to life for him and be his partner. That's a really well-established trope that we see time and time again. Boy, do we have a vacation for you. For you. For you. For you. Hello and welcome to Science-ish. I'm Rick Edwards, joined as ever by Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. So what we do in this podcast, as you know, is we ask one big question uh, that comes off the back of a bit of popular culture. Brooksy, you are leading um, this week. What have you got for us? We are looking at the science of Westworld. Do you know Uh, Westworld? Of course I know Westworld. Can I say that I haven't seen season two, So, but I very much plan to because I love season one because I just haven't had time yet. There's lots of watch, isn't there? Oh, because you're Um, so busy. No, I mean, I'm busy watching other telly, (laughs) if that's busy. (laughs) House of Cards isn't going to watch itself. No, no. So when you do a little sort of synopsis of of the world of Westworld... Don't no spoilers from season two, please. Well, I'm I'm, I'm going to do a very straightforward synopsis, which is yeah. Basically, it's about a world in which you can go and indulge your fantasies. And it's populated by artificial intelligences, um, in you know, in robot form. So so they're humanoid. You can't 
really tell that they're robots. You just know that when you buy your place on this thing and you go in there, uh, you're just going to be encountering all these robots and they'll basically do what you want them to do. They'll play out scenarios that you want to play out. So so you can go there, have a great time. It's like a holiday destination. It's like center parks with AI, basically. Yeah, and, and that's how they bill it, isn't it? That's the tagline <laughs> of the show. And, and presumably no, nothing could possibly go wrong there. No, exactly. I mean, I mean, that's the glory of this drama. Nothing goes wrong. No conflict whatsoever. No. Mm, I mean, of course, everything to get a goes two. wrong. Everything goes wrong because, of course, this is about sort of having our sort of dystopian views on what will happen with robots and AI sort of brought to life for us. Mm. So, yeah, particularly interesting things happen with uh, the. So, there's a brothel within it. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, you know, there's issues there raised about not just about sex work and prostitution, but about, you know, the kind of, you know, will of the robots and what are the robots mm. there for and who the, are they there for? The nature of consent. Yes. It's really interesting stuff. It is. Uh, what's the big question we're going to be asking? So we're going to focus uh, this week on the, the question, will sex robots be good for us? I have no idea. That even just my, my gut feeling is, don't for, know, don't know. For once, <laughs> yeah. for once, you finally but, have no idea. I'd be hedging my bets well, I say, maybe? Luckily for you, you don't have to have an opinion. You don't have to know the answer yet. I, I will have one. <laughs> just <laughs> yes, give you, me time. I, oh, yeah. Believe me, I know that. So we've got with us Dr. Kate Devlin of King's College London, and she is the author of Turned On, Science, Sex and Robots. Hello, Kate. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks very much for coming into the Sciences Studio. We don't normally have people in. It's very exciting. This yeah. is, uh, a Our real... listeners are going to be beside themselves, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, this happened maybe once before. A long, long time long, ago. A long, long time ago. We've brought it out again. Yeah. I didn't know it would be so glamorous. It, I know, I know. It's surprising. It's amazing that we can afford all this gold. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> but, the foot massage, okay? Yeah. Oh, perfect, perfect. Yeah, good, good. Um, so, Kate, how did you um, end up writing this turned on uh, Science, Sex and Robots I do book? keep asking myself that. Um, I started off doing a lot of research in human-computer interaction and artificial intelligence and at a conference, or rather in the pub after the conference, we all got talking about, you know, where, what happens if we make machines that can think for themselves and feel things? And are we trying to emulate human things? And of course, it turned to sex. We go through so many different incredible chemical changes when we're aroused. So what happens if a, if a cognitive system could do that, if a system could, could feel that, or a computer could feel that? But it just, that was just a throwaway kind of conversation. And then I got looking into it more and more. And we find that there's lots of interesting work going on in the area. So, yeah, it emerged from that. And so it emerged from a uh, classic pub chat. Basically, yeah. <laughs> just could, could a robot turn me on? Could I turn a robot on? Both of those things. <laughs> yeah. We've been trying to sort of create artificial, I say artificial, Ways that aren't human of pleasuring ourselves for a long time. Oh, yes, it goes way back. Uh, So we have definitely have evidence from ancient Greece onwards of sex toys and Uh sex toys being used. But there are lots of older phallic-shaped objects that have been found dating back, you know, 28,000 years, 30,000 years. We don't know if they were used for sexual purposes. I know that one of them at least was used as a hammerstone, uh-huh. which is quite painful. But yes. we know that... Sorry, uh, what, what do you mean a hammerstone? It's been used to hammer things. Oh, right. <laughs> so oh, okay. like a, basically a large uh, penis-shaped hammer. Oh, fair enough. Novelty um, gift. Yeah. yeah. Not got that in your toolbox? <laughs> <laughs> but we don't know. I mean, archaeologists are very reticent to put this down to sex toys. We would prefer to say things like it's ceremonial or ritual or things right. like that. Yeah. But let's not overlook the obvious it could be that they had some other purpose as well. 
I mean, human beings have always been into sex, haven't they? And they've always sort of you know, found ways and innovation is, is like at the core of the sex industry, really. Yeah, we're very good at being human, which involves lots of sex because that's how we all got here. And of course, when technology's developed, you know, I hate to say it, but it's either going to be because of sex or because of violence, really. So we shouldn't be that surprised. <laughs> yeah. if we're not going to war, we're using it to... I mean, famously, drove you know the early internet was driven by the porn industry, right? So it? porn has had quite a significant influence on tech development, and it's the reason we ended up with VHS videos instead mm-hmm. of Betamax. Is that example. right? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, the the porn industry adopted it. Yeah. Same with um, Blu-ray as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And streaming video and credit card transactions, things like that, that were really adopted very early on by by porn so they could sell more. So when did sex toys like vibrators first start sort of appearing? Well, the vibrator emerged, the electric vibrator emerged in the late Victorian age, so sort of like late 1800s. Mm. And it wasn't designed for to give women orgasms due to hysteria. That's that's a really popular myth, but right. that wasn't actually the case. It was developed in order to bring pain relief. Can I help you? Yes. I'd like to return this vibrator. We don't sell vibrators. Yes, you do. I bought it here six months ago. That's not a vibrator. It's a neck massager. No, it's a vibrator. Things like the Hitachi Magic Wand, which is one of the world's best-selling sex toys, was actually developed originally as a massager, very, very quickly adopted for sexual purposes. And Hitachi were quite keen to distance themselves from that to the point where they actually renamed it the original Magic Wand. Fine. I'd like to return this neck massager. What's wrong with it? It failed to get me off. So it's been around for a while and then it was, wasn't until sort of the turn of the century when Sex and the City had an episode on about a rabbit yeah. vibrator that people began to be a bit more open about it. Ladies, I'd like you to meet the rabbit. $92? Please, think about the money we spend on shoes. Well, I have no intention of using that. I'm saving sex for someone I love. Fantastic. Is there a man in the picture? It was interesting, that, that thing in, in your book when you talk about that and how... People were really judgy about it, weren't they? They were. I mean, even the episode is quite judgy. There's a Mm. wonderful book called Buzz, which explores the history of the sex toy by Hallie Lieberman. And she mentions how it's quite a judgmental episode and that Charlotte has this vibrator, but the rest of the girls aren't happy with that. They want her to make sure she has a real man because the vibrator just isn't good enough. There was only one thing to do, a rabbit intervention. Come on, let's go. Okay, where is it? What are you talking about? The rabbit, Charlotte. Hey, the rabbit. Hey, hey, hey. It's a vibrator. It's not like it's crack. There's still a lot of moralistic judgment around what sex should be. And sex toys are not considered to be real. You guys have a lot of nerve coming in here. You're the one who made me get it. I thought you could handle it. It's no big deal. I'd just rather stay home with the rabbit than go out and deal with men. It's very interesting, I think, that Hitachi have continued to make the magic wand and make money from it. But rebrand it so it doesn't sound like it's coming from them. Because that tells you a lot about their sort of perception, doesn't it? And it tells you a lot about how sex tech market, the sex tech market works today. So there are quite a few startups now working on sex toys, but they find it incredibly difficult to get funding for it. How sophisticated are are sex toys getting? Because I'm wondering about whether people are looking at how, you know, how we can see pleasure and pleasure centres being being stimulated. Like if you put someone in an fMRI, I'm assuming that you'd be able to identify sites in the brain um, and whether people are actually kind of using that information to create like super sex toys. 
I wish we could use that information. We, there, there's not really, it's not really driving the development of sex toys. It's certainly being looked at in mm. terms of how brains process and, and what the patterns are when people orgasm, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, the sex toys today, though, are using technology to do a lot more. So we have smart sex toys that can be connected online so they can be customizable, programmable, even operated by people who aren't in the same place as you. So you can let someone else control it from a distance. That's- that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's spicy, isn't it? Because yeah, I'm immediately yeah. then, having not really been worried about hacking the first thing i think of is what if someone if i so i've got a sex toy on me i've said to michael you can operate it and then it gets hacked so someone else is operating yeah. it then i haven't given consent for that it's and that assault. like weirdly is assault yeah, it's it? weirdly assault yeah it is and this is one of the problems there have been hackings of sex toys not to this the point where they've been controlled by other people but they are hackable smart sex toys so there's been one where Data was gathered, um, wasn't anonymized, and so there was a very detailed record of people's sex lives. Um, there was another where a sex toy with a camera on it, you could hack the video stream and see the video stream, although you had to be quite close to the toy in order to do it. Might as well have just watched it from the corner of the room. Moving on to what we see in, in Westworld, so robots with artificial intelligence how far towards that are we at the moment we are so far away there are not really any sex robots in the world today there is a prototype that is currently being made as the commercial version Mm -hmm. that is due to ship apparently any day now but that is it it's very very small scale there's no corporate backing there's no widespread demands the closest parallel is this sex doll market yeah. and high end yeah. sex dolls have been around for maybe what 15 20 years and these are created much like sculptures they are really quite works of art people buy them and they don't tend to buy them just for sex they buy them for companionship sex is sort of a, almost incidental to it and so A lot of those people are looking for more interactivity and that's why the company that is making the first commercially available sex robot has branched out into that. So they they are a company that makes sex dolls. Okay. Hi, I'm Matt McMullen. I'm the CEO of Realbotics and Realdoll. And I'm Harmony, the world's first affordable robot with a practical purpose for in-home use or in-bedroom use. Ha ha. The sex robots that are being developed that we call sex robots aren't really robots. They're essentially sex dolls with a little bit of mechanisation, perhaps some animatronics and an AI personality. It's not really a robot if we take robot to mean something that can perform automated action. And so it's probably not going to be walking around. Definitely not. They can't even stand up on their own. Oh, really? Yeah. Poor things. Yeah. (laughs) They have to be carefully propped (laughs) up in place. The face is held on with a series of magnets. Hey, put my face back on. I will. Hold um, on. So, but look into the future. Do you think there is a market for a sex robot? I'm sceptical. There may be, but I don't think it's going to be in the current form it's in because we are terrible at making human-like robots. We're just really bad at it. And we're also very, very good at spotting the fakes. We're very good at spotting things that look human but aren't human. Obviously... I think she's very beautiful. Would you agree she's beautiful? No. She's no. a doll. She's a doll. I mean, it's not... It's, the thing is, you can't get away from the fact that she's not real. I mean, I know the, the one thing that's different... About and I think that, uh, combined with things, very mundane things like storage issues, where do you keep your sex robot? Where are you going to hide that? I mean, people have children around. I mean, okay. it would be quite frightening if a child found that in your wardrobe. Well, I had two children myself, and they actually... This, she's got... Samantha has a family mode. 
which oh, no, it's, in, it's impossible to what, She's going to read the kids a bedtime story? She can talk about animals. I see it as being something that might take hold a lot more if we move away from this quite poor representation of, of a human figure, usually a very reductive female stereotype. Because we have a lot of technology out there that could provide sensuous or pleasurable experiences. And if you want the companionship side, we're getting better and better at AI companions. Yeah. So I think we don't have to do it in this sort of sex robot form. So you could have experiences that are either virtual and immersive or perhaps experiences with wearables um, combined with or even with a standalone AI companion. I mean, sex toys have entered into this design phase where things are quite beautiful and abstract and you're yeah. looking at form over function, whereas we're still very much in the engineering phase when it comes to sex robots. How influential do you think Hollywood has been incredibly. in this? Yeah, incredibly influential. Not even Hollywood. We have sci-fi novels you know, before that, we, it goes way back, right back, in fact, into, into all the myths. If we look back to stories, even the, the, the story of Pygmalion is such a, a, a story that has really permeated lots of our culture and influenced lots of different films and, and plays. That idea that a man can create the perfect woman and she will come to life for him and be his partner. And, and I think that's a really well-established trope that we see time and time again. And we know there have been lots of studies on robot interaction that show that our preconceived notions about robots influence how we interact with them. And does something like Westworld move this on a little bit or is it actually falling into the same tropes? In a way, it's falling into the same tropes. But of course, if you're making a sci-fi film or sci-fi TV series about robots... You don't have any robots to play the parts, so you've got human actors. <laughs> you might as well use the human actors. <laughs> so I think, you know, we're stuck in that groove for a while. Yeah, it's like a self-reinforcing it is, thing, it isn't is. it? Yeah. Looking for some fun? Maybe. Well, you come to the right place. There's plenty of fun here. That's Cindy and Arlette. Perhaps your gentlemen are taking a liking to them. Perhaps. We'll break on accounts later. John, are those... It sounds good to me. Are those two girls machines? <laughs> now, how can you say a thing like that? Going on to our, the, the, the question we're really trying to examine of will sex robots be good for us? I suppose on the, on the one hand, you're saying that we're a long way off getting to the kind of sex robots that we see or robots that we see in, in Westworld. But if we were to reach something like that, what will it mean for our humanity and our relationships with our other humans? I don't think that we're going to see human-human relationships being replaced. It's much more likely that we see them augmented by technology. Our relationships with robots, robots are around us now, you know, in, in various forms that we don't really recognise as robots. You know, the, the sort of most everyday example is the robot vacuum cleaner. But we have robots in production lines. Um, we have lots of AI embedded in, in things that we use every day, like customer service sites online. We are developing a way of interacting with them that is not replacing human-human interaction. It's something of its own. And I think that will remain the same. We will make space in our lives to accommodate this technology and to accommodate AI and robotics. But it won't be a direct replacement for humans. Well, they say that it'll lead to abuse and uh, men that will be uh, worse than they are now. It's yeah, going to train do. men to become rapists. What's next? Is it child robots? What's, where's the line? Where's the boundary? I read some stuff from the campaign against sex robots and 
And, you know, they're very sort of clear in their mind that, that when this kind of thing becomes available, it will change particularly men's attitudes towards women. And, and you know, they think it will really strongly affect the way that, that people treat real women if they're interacting with robot women who they can do whatever right, they want to. Right, the symbolic consequences argument. I can understand there's concern with things like this because you don't know what the knock-on effect is going to be necessarily. The campaign against sex robots is sort of based around very profoundly negative views on sex work and they are worried that sex robots will mirror that and that it will be detrimental to society. But that starts from the premise that sex work is something that is wrong. I think there are fears with any kind of technology that it's going to go dystopian in some way. We always have these fears. There are parallels in some ways. I mean, we can look at the parallel with computer games, which some people are concerned that would lead to real life violence. And there have been hundreds and hundreds of studies on this and no conclusive evidence. We cannot show that there's been any actual causal link between game playing and violent behaviour. You know, there were other people saying, well, you know, online porn is going to lead to increased violence against women. But, you know, we have a society where you know, Pornhub has 81 million users a day. If you expect sexual violence to go in proportion to that, then we, we'd probably be seeing a lot more of it. And like, sexual violence is underreported. A lot of people have porn in their lives every day, manage their expectations, manage watching that, and it doesn't bleed into any other parts of society. But again, there are outliers. There may be negative influences in terms of what the expectations are around sex and sexuality. And that's certainly something that needs addressed. But to presume that something immediately is going to lead to violence without any evidence, I think that's just a step too far. And I certainly couldn't find any expectation that that would happen. So one of the big issues that gets raised about this is obviously, you know, we talked about tastes and people having different tastes, you know, in terms of, you know, different models of sex robots. And then people raise the possibility that actually, you know, you could have sex robots that are depicted as children for paedophiles. And that, you know, obviously raises a lot of hackles straight away as, you know, an ethical thing. What's, What's your view on that? This was a really hard part of the book to sort of delve into. And it was very uncomfortable. I think immediately you're right. We we automatically go, well, that's completely wrong. Then there are people who say, but that could be therapeutic. That could be something that could be used beneficially. We know that virtual reality has been trialed to see whether or not sex offenders can be rehabilitated. And it could be that there is a space for sex robots in the form of a childlike sex robot to do that as well. That said, Everyone I spoke to who works with sex offenders has said, do not do this. This is this is an escalation. This will lead to more abuse. There's no way you can get an ethical study together on that. What ethics board is going to approve this kind of thing anyway? Mm. But, it's a funding nightmare. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, the whole <laughs> yeah. thing's a funding nightmare. But I think what I lean towards regulation there because... I, this is a in the in real in the real world. This is a situation where vulnerable people are involved, and so we shouldn't risk this in yeah. in the virtual or the robotic version as well. There have been people importing childlike sex dolls into the UK, and um, they've been the, the, these dolls have been seized by customs, and seven people have been prosecuted. Of those six people, were found to have images of child abuse on their computers already, and. 
it's it's really difficult. No one's going to admit that they're making childlike versions of sex dolls or sex robots. But we know that the sex doll versions exist already. And it's not illegal to own them in this country. It is illegal to import them. So the law doesn't keep up very well with technology, but they, they were able to prosecute them under quite an obscure importation law about importing obscene items. I think it's very easy to see that um, expand into the realm of, of the sex robots. So so when the um the these people who you've spoken to who who work with um child sex offenders say that they worry that it would be an escalation, that seems to be in contrast to what we hope is the case with um sex dolls generally, um, which is that if, if you have a kind of bad attitude towards your sex doll, actually that isn't going to bleed out into your right interaction that seemed the, the what quite... i find yeah it does what what i find out about the the people who own sex dolls however is that everyone i spoke to were very very respectful and caring about the dolls because they are investing in these and i don't just mean monetarily although they, you know, they all cost from about five thousand dollars upwards mm-hmm. they are investing emotionally in these dolls and they represent something cherished and so I didn't actually come across mm. examples of people buying these dolls to enact violence on them. Okay, There may be those outliers, and it was alluded to in conversations that some people might be like that. But by and large, the community is incredibly positive and incredibly respectful towards them. Are there sex dolls that have a kind of um, consent mechanism built in? There was talk about a robot that had a frigid setting. This was the Roxy robot. My name is Roxy and I happen to be a robot. It's never actually made it out into development. We've seen a trade show model a few years ago. Can you tell Dr. Oz about your personalities? Sure. So basically, if you want me to be a bit more frisky, say on a Friday night, you can have me use my wild Wendy personality. I'll be really outgoing and a little naughty. (laughs) And this idea was quite, uh, generated a lot of media interest, the idea that you could perhaps rape a robot, right? Well, I mean, technically, legally, you cannot, these are objects. But the idea that you are going against a voiced lack of consent. Well, thanks, Roxy. Thank you. And it was great meeting you, Dr. Oz. There was the development of a robot called Samantha and the creator of that, Sergio Santos, was really keen to show reciprocated desire. You can talk to her, so you can interact, you can tell her you love her, she'll respond. And she'll say this. I love you too. He was trying to build an AI that allows you to woo Samantha, basically, and approach her sensitively and, you know, basically flirt with her and turn her on and that way be able to have what he saw as a consensual and reciprocal relationship. And then she might go on to say, Do you think we could get more sensual? And then... I can take many times much more love just because you can give it. And I take it all. Oh, Oh, then I didn't like to interrupt her then, but in, in, in full flow. We see arguments like this around voice AIs as well, like Alexa, should we encode the need to say please or thank you? to when you're talking to Alexa Siri, for example. And you know, there, are, there are kid modes where you've got to, to do so. Um, Is that right? I didn't know that. Apparently. I haven't, yeah. I haven't tried this out, but apparently. Kids yeah, used to I, I, speak very disrespectfully to yeah, your Alexa. Yeah, they did. I, I, like, I, I had uh, an echo in my kitchen for a while because I was writing something about AI and I was sort of trying it out. And the thing I found was that my children, who are both teenagers, 
started being just unaccountably rude to Alexa and enjoying the process of, of getting away with it the oh, whole time. Oh, everyone loves to be a bit mean to Yeah, me, and I just, it sort of exposes something about the human nature somehow, doesn't Alexa's it? just a, a search engine with a voice, really. Yeah, right? yeah, so, absolutely. So what is it that we, I mean, I, I'm... But it I'm, bothered me, I have to say, it really it does, bothered it me. It bothers us because we are so good at projecting the human-like qualities onto these yeah. things. But then again, we know not to do that with real people. We ha- we, we hmm. Our boundaries are clear. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, my, my children actually don't do that with real yeah, people at we, all. Yeah. We are very good at projecting human experiences onto technology, but we're also very good at compartmentalising and knowing yeah. when we're talking to a real human. And, and also, just lo- I mean, uh, anthropomorphizing. Easy for you to <laughs> say. Easy for me, so easy for me to say. Our pets. Uh, I, yeah. I talk yeah. to my, my cat is presumably yeah. an absolute idiot. Sadness in his eyes. I, yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> oh, have you met? <laughs> yeah. I talk to my cat. Like she, like she understands me. I try and like treat her and treat her respectfully. Yeah, she's, she's just yeah. waiting for you to die. Yes, so she yes can exactly. So she can eat me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I do. In the back of my mind, I do know that. <laughs> but I still like. I'm still sort of enslaved by her. I was sort of interested by this compartmentalization issue because um, you quote David Levy yeah. in your book. Yeah. I mean, he thinks that this will be a good thing, like sex robots development, because he says, you know, all those people who can't find a partner will be able to kind of have someone. And quote is, the world will be a much happier place because all those people who are now miserable will suddenly have someone. I think that's sort of a false optimism because precisely because we compartmentalize it's like you know that you haven't really got someone you've just got a sex robot so david is a very utopian in his views about sex robots and he's done some really great work um he was the person who basically um wrote the first book on this that made it accessible to everyone but his views are incredibly utopian and incredibly um from from a a man's point of view as well so when he says everyone will be happy what he means is all the men will have robot girlfriends if they want them you know there are some things that i think won't happen and there's some things that downright scare me about ai but I, i think that this idea that we'll all um, live happily ever after with robots, it won't be as a replacement. We will have robots in our lives because that is inevitable. I don't just mean sex robots. I mean technology and AI and robotics in general. But we will we will exist in a new way with them, that, a way that we perhaps haven't even quite established yet. They will have their place and it will be a relationship that is other to what we have already. It's inevitable that this technology is going to happen. And when technology advances, it's inevitable that people are going to start turning to perhaps darker uses for them or perhaps more deviant uses for them. So I think it's a way, we have to learn how to negotiate it. What are your drives? Please, I I don't want to die, please. Yes. Survival. That's not the only drive, is it? There's part of you that wants to hurt kill that's why you created us this place to be prisoners to your own desires but now you're a prisoner to mine so let's see if we can wrap this up then um uh Big question is, will sex robots be good for us? Kate? If they change from their current form into something more abstracted, yes. Michael? I don't think they'll be bad for us. 
I mean, even if they stay in the current form, I mean, it, yes, it's niche and yes, it's regrettable in some ways, but I don't see a downside to it. Can you see a future where Philippa agrees that you have a sex robot living with you? No. But then I actually can't see a future where I would want a sex robot. I have to say, you know, there's nothing in me that thinks, oh, you know, that's something I'd want. But I completely appreciate that for other people, that's that's not the case. But what if you had a sex duvet that wrapped itself around you and hugged yeah, you and like cuddled the, you? I like that thing. Yes. I mean, I just need a duvet that does that. It doesn't need to have sex Sold. With me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're all in for the sex duvet. <laughs> and, and what about you with, with uh, sex robots? I don't... I don't think so i guess it's that i've got to a point in my life where i feel sort of that i have that side of things taken care of like i, I have a wife who i love you got a cat we're intimate i've got a cat uh, so i don't think i there's, there's not a gap that needs yeah. filling but if i did have a gap that needed filling then and which is definitely the phrase i'm glad i've chosen to use. <laughs> welcome to my world <laughs> then yeah i might fill it with a robot <laughs> Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Cormac McAuliffe, Eli Block, and Ivor Slayer-Manley. Sound design also by Ivor Slayer-Manley. Special thanks to Dr. Kate Devlin. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks very much, it does help. And you can also find us on Twitter at science underscore ish. I really enjoyed in, in your book the stuff about people who uh, get off on statues. Yeah, so there That's are recorded, amazing. R- recorded uh, snippets about people who have pleasured themselves up against statues and left stains on them. Left the evidence. Oh, but so, I mean, fair play. Some of those statues are really fit. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the whole idea of them. They're like, this yeah. guy has got an incredible body. That seems reasonable.